we've had more audits from literally the day we were born. In elementary school, I remember a teacher pointing to me and saying, that's one smart little black girl right there. I wasn't just a smart girl, I was a smart little black girl. I remember being the only little black girl in classes. I remember having to worry about what I looked like, what I talked like, what I sounded like all day, every day. And I think that we care, we do carry a unique burden. And I also think we carry a unique privilege that goes with that. For Douglas and I both, we never forget what it took and who and how many people are watching when we go off to college, when we go off to medical school, when we stand in our job. My husband was one. The residency we, we finished has literally finished less than five people of color. Hello and hola friends. Welcome to the Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast, the only podcast for dual physician couples who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome, bienvenidos. Do you feel overwhelmed by all of your different responsibilities as a partner, a parent, and a physician? Do you feel burned out or stressed out? If so, we want you to know that there is hope. Professional coaching for doctors has been shown to improve all these problems. And right now, the Alpha Coaching Experience, a coaching program meant specifically for busy physicians who want to build a life they love and deserve, is open for enrollment. As part of the Fall Alpha Coaching Experience, we want to invite you to a free webinar being taught by Dr. Jimmy Turner over at The Physician Philosopher. The webinar is called Defeat Burnout Without Leaving Medicine. You can register for this free webinar by visiting thephysicianphilosopher.com forward slash webinar. There are only three webinars. The last one is on November 1st. So don't miss out on getting some free teaching on how to coach yourself to become the best partner, parent, and physician you can be. Visit thephysicianphilosopher.com forward slash webinar for more information. Please welcome our guest on today's episode of Medicine, Marriage, and Money. We are here with Dr. Katrina Samuels-Hughes. She is a pediatric radiologist and one of my unexpected mentors during my pediatric radiology fellowship. She is devoted to mentoring residents on a daily basis on life, marriage, and motherhood as it pertains to a working woman physician. She is a loving and supportive wife to an adult radiologist and strong mother to three brave children and two dogs. Welcome, Katrina. Hi, Kate. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Okay, well, first, I want to start asking you my inaugural launch guest question. What is your definition of marital interdependence and what does it mean to achieve it and maintain it? Or what does it take to achieve it and maintain it? In other words, in simplified terms, what makes a successful marriage and how does it last? Wow, those are big questions. Those are uh, courses in a lifetime. Uh, my husband and I have been together, uh, been married 17 years, have been together probably 19 or 20. And I think that question we ask ourselves every day and work at it every day. And I think that's what 
is important about marriage. Um, I think it's important for two people who are committed to trying to make this crazy life work together. Um, and we are not always good at it. <laughs> we have had, you know, um, our ups and downs with it, and we're always growing and striving. I think what makes it last um, is a commitment by two people for common goals, which is the same thing that makes anything kind of in the swirl work. Um, there have definitely been times where it would have been much easier to walk away, but I think either through circumstance and and time, it just, we've made it work. And I think people should let go who are entering marriage of some fantasy. I think uh, what you see on TV, what you see, it's not real life. What you see people project on social media, it is not real life. Uh, real life is working at it daily, uh, having ups and downs, absolutely, utterly failing and being able to come back and say, hey, that did not work for me. Did that work for you? Okay, let's, what are we going to do? And that may take weeks or months to figure out what works and doesn't in any situation. Kind of the key is letting go of all these preconceived notions of what it is and realizing that what it really is, is that two people have decided to make a go of it. And that person having a partner in it, uh, that person will not make you happy per se. You may find joy with them, but no one makes you happy. The idea is to support one another so that each person can be healthy, happy, and strong. And then you guys can be healthy, happy, and strong together. And then build uh, an environment, which is, I guess, uh, common goals for your children, your your life, your career, your family, etc. Wow. I love that. Yes. Common goals, commitment. It can be easier to walk away, but you are committed. You have these common goals and you're going to work together. The other thing you said is the other person's not supposed to make you happy. I love that too, because I think so often people get married and we think, you know, our Prince Charming or our princess is going to make us happy, but really ultimately we can have joy in the relationship, but, but we have to make ourselves happy and show up. Right. And I think that's the thing is if you're relying on someone else to make you happy or to make you, you're always going to be disappointed and sad. And it's a lot of pressure on someone else. I think that you really have to work on yourself and being whole in yourself and growing because you're not going to be the same person. We are so very different people than when we started this journey together. And you're not going to grow at the same rate. You're not going to see the world the same way. And you're going to have, you know, find some way to, to grow together. It's not someone else's responsibility to see your growth, be your growth, or even be your happiness. Now, you can lean on each other. Definitely, there are times where it is never 50-50. That's something that I had to learn early on, and children definitely made that clear. It's never going to be 50-50. Some days, it's you know 90-10, and he's the 90, and there's some days there it is you know, 60-40. That's, that's a great day, um, but there are days when it's nowhere close and there sometimes are long stretches where it's 150% and somebody else is given 10 toward one particular part of the relationship or to parenting or to the house or to the laundry or, you know, whatever it is that day. But they're given 100% or 150% to the household bills because they're working. Got it. I love that. That's a beautiful answer, Katrina. And you said you've been, okay, you've been with your husband for about 19 years. What was it like the first time you met him? Can you bring us back to that moment? Yeah. So we went to um, Howard. University Medical School, which love Howard, go Howard. He is a, he's originally from Texas. I'm from Louisiana. Um, I 
gone to undergrad at Emory in Atlanta and uh, gone to Howard for medical school. And he'd come from Houston. He went to Texas Southern for um, for his undergrad. And we're first year medical students. Uh, we classically did the med over the anatomy take. He wasn't in my anatomy group. We used to have, this is, I'll explain just because medical school has changed for many people, so they won't oh, understand what I call old school medical school, which means we used to have blocks of, well, we'd go probably every couple of months, we would have a huge set of exams, like five or six exams in every subject. First year medical school, it is truly make or break. Like all of you will not be there <laughs> when it's all said and done. So there's a lot of pressure. So also I think medical school is a very interesting um, environment because you have all of these brilliant people who have been who's who wherever they are coming from. And and not just the same as college where you had all these brilliant people who were who's who coming. This is even like the more elite of elite coming. Now you're tested. And so for me, it was the first time I'd ever had any academic really struggle. Anytime I'd had where I had studied and put forth all my effort in it still wasn't good enough. It was an interesting environment. So needless to say, I was blessed to meet two of my very best friends who are still friends to this day and my study partners. And one of them is Dr. Aisha Edwards, who's an internist in New York. She and I were studying and it was coming time for neuro. And we were in separate anatomy tanks, but none of us had done the dissection yet. Uh, we had not finished our head and neck dissection and we were getting ready to get tested on it. And she was like, uh, chick, we need some help. <laughs> like, we're going to go down. <laughs> like, we need some help. We need to find somebody to help us, like, right now. And she said, what about that guy? And I was like, what guy? She was like, that guy over there. And I was like, I don't know. I've noticed that guy. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> and she says, um, she's like, no, that guy, go ask him. I was like, I don't know that guy. Like, what are you talking about? And she says, no, no, that guy, like, he likes you. I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, no, trust me on this. I know this. And this guy likes you. Like, you go ask him to help us. Ask him to teach us. He's always dissecting. His body looks beautiful. Like, go, not his body, but his anatomy body. Let me clarify. His anatomy body looks beautiful. He's done this great dissection. Go ask him if he'll teach it to us. So I'm like, really? She's like, listen, we're going to fail. Go. I was like, yes, ma'am. I go ask him. I introduce myself. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know you are. And I was like, um, listen, we're we're not ready for this test. Do you mind helping us? We need to go over the anatomy. And he was very accommodating. He was so sweet. He's like, okay. So he, he taught us head and neck anatomy because we had these big blocks of exams. You basically would study, 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 study. And then you had like four or five days where you would basically be in exams all day long. And then at night you would just stay up and study for the next exam. And so when that was all over, we would go out and party and have a great time. Like there was just this big release. It was like finals every few, you know, every few months. When we were done with that exam, uh, I was like, hey, we're getting ready to go, you know, everyone would go get their hair done. Everybody would look, everyone went from looking like zombies to looking gorgeous all of a sudden. Um, I was like, do you want to come out with us? Like we would always go to dinner or do something like that. And he's like, yeah. So he started to kind of hang out with us and slowly but surely, you know, he looked cuter and cuter. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is the sweetest. And he helped you with head and neck anatomy. That's like the hardest. Head and neck anatomy, yes. He was a neuroanatomy whiz, even to this day. He was, he's super, super smart. Synthesized information out of a textbook with kind of uncanny ability. So he was like, oh yeah, no, it's just da 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 We were like, dude, I've never even heard of that. <laughs> like, you're, name, you're naming anatomical parts I've never even read. <laughs> uh, 
we have an ongoing joke about the red nucleus. I was like, oh, that's not true. That's not even a real thing. He was like, no, it, it is trust. And you should probably know it. <laughs> hmm, the red nucleus. Okay. <laughs> I should probably look that up again. You were saying, okay, so that's how you met. And then why did you two fall in love? Um, I just think um, there were kind of, there were lots of things that we liked about each other. been kind of a rough time for me weird relationship kind of immediately before um, that wasn't good for me in any way. Um, And it was because I was dealing with kind of the adjustment issues of medical school. I think I was dealing with being inadequate for first time and struggling with like giving it my best and still having, you know, studying as hard as I've ever studied for anything in my whole life and still coming out with, you know, a B or a C or literally eat, breathing, sleeping medical school. Like we would, I would be at medical school all day. Like we would be in class all day from about eight to five. And then we would move into the study lounge and study there. I lived, we lived in that building. Our joke was, you know, going to the club was driving home at night. We would, my friends, you know, being women, we would follow each other. Um, we lived in the same direction and also to keep each other awake until we could get home. So we were, it was kind of a, it was all a culture shock. And then you had, I think with medicine, uh, medical school was the first time, but throughout medicine, you have very supportive family and friends, but they don't get it. They don't understand. It's definitely a brotherhood of, of, or sisterhood of, unless you're doing this, you have no clue. And I had friends who were good friends, but they had no clue. They wanted to know why I could talk or why I could come to this or why I couldn't do this. And I was like, you have no idea that I really have barely enough time to brush my teeth and shower. Like functioning is hard right now. Um, There's so much that I'm trying to learn and know. And this is also my dream. Like this is what I'm, you know, medical school is where you have put all of this lifetime of preparation and testing and whatever on the line. And you're now like, got to make it happen. I think that that environment was great because he was someone who understood. He was with you. He was with you. And I think that's why my friendships from that time period with my girls have lasted a lifetime too, because there's such an intimacy and such a bond that is because you spend all day, every day together. And I'm so, so blessed to have amazing parents who have always been huge cheerleaders. But when they say, oh, baby, don't, why are you worried about that test? You're going to do fine. You always do fine. I mean, you're so smart. You'll do fine. Yeah, that's not true in medical school. (laughs) Like everybody's (laughs) smart. I think having someone who understands where you are and what you're doing and understands when you say, I can't, or yeah, no, I really am worried about this, or I have no idea for the person. I've read this seven times and I still don't understand. Are these the same reasons you're still in love or have they changed or grown? Um, I think they've grown. I think they they. I don't want to say changed, but you find different things, people. But I think my suggestion when I talk to residents and I, I get a chance to see residents from different services because radiology, people tend to like electives in radiology. And they tend to be about to do something big when they take their, either they're going on vacation or getting married or whatever. Something we did early on, I think, before we got married, we actually talked a lot about goals and what was important to us. Okay. And I think one of the common things that has never wavered, even in the worst of our times together, has been my husband is an incredible worker. He will work his tail off. I mean, I don't, it's hard to, to, to put into words how 
focused and dedicated he is working and providing. In medical school, he before medical school, he was a pharmacist. And then he even worked as a pharmacist while in med school sometimes. Oh, wow. That is hard. <laughs> How did she do that? So he, um, because he, ha- he had to, you know, out of necessity, you know, I think out of needing a way to support himself, uh, med school is not cheap and to pack up and move to DC is super not cheap. So that work ethic resonates with me too. I'm, I'm very much a worker, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, like let's go. And I think that even in our worst times, we've survived hurricanes and lost everything in our houses. We've done, we've always been able to be like, okay, but here's the task. Let's get it done. And I think that ability to to kind of come back to here's what we got to do. Let's work. Let's kill ourselves to do it has has really always been able to pull us back no matter what and get us through the hardest times, the toughest times, the most trying times. Okay. It's beautiful. And, um, and what, you know, now I know you've been through a lot. I mean, you say you've been through hurricanes. Now we've been through the, or in the middle of the global pandemic. What have you found, um, what systems have changed in your household due to these, you know, things that disrupt our lives um, that have helped your family and your marriage through these times? Like, do you have specific routines or structures that get you through these certain time periods? Yeah. What kind of adapted things we were doing before really, um, what we did in the beginning, I'll kind of deviate and come back. What we did in the beginning, though, is we kind of had conversations, and I suggest this to people. They can physically write it down or just kind of say it. And before you tie your life to someone, uh, whether that be a life partner, whether that be a marriage, whether that be a business, I think that there should be a conversation about what's important. Let's talk priorities. And I think for Douglas and I, the one probably good thing we did in the beginning was talk priorities. For us, our priorities were clear. God and our spirituality is important to both of us, and we have a spiritual center. Second is family, and that means our family and our you know, extended family. And then third, kind of maintaining a healthy sense of us. And I think that those, having set those priorities kind of is helpful for making all hard decisions after that and going through all hard things because every situation isn't seen as a new situation. It's just seen as how does this fit into our priorities? So I'll give an example. When we got ready to decide about marriage and couples matching, that was hard and easy for us. Hard in the sense that he was matching between anesthesia and radiology, uh, the two he applied to, and I applied to MedPeds. And PEDS and I am individually just because we had made the decision we were not going to be separated. You know, I, I think that's amazing that couples do it. But for a young marriage and us, us being physically separated for four or five years wasn't going to be an option. We knew we wanted to be, we kind of knew geographically we wanted to go back home. He was a Texan and Texans never leave Texas. <laughs> they love Texas. <laughs> so he was very much about coming back to Texas. Okay. I was from Louisiana and that was okay. Because we had made the decision that we were going to be together, the hard conversations that happened afterwards about, well, I really love this program. I hate this program. They don't have one for me here. They don't kind of went away because the priority was we're going to be together. That was okay for a give and take. I realized that radiology was super competitive. Medpeds was competitive, but I was willing to go to a program maybe I liked a little bit less for him to go to one that he liked a little bit more because radiology, you had to get in where you, you know, radiology was more competitive and we had to go where he had to go. Fortunately, it worked out for us that we both kind of were okay with where we went. Because we had the set of priorities, it made it a little bit easier. 
with that in mind, during, you know, when we lost everything in the hurricane, when we had COVID and everything else that has come between, we try to come back to that same set of values. Creating a space protects our family, that we put our, our children and our family first. Our children are very, very, very important to us and our number one priority. Um, so when we're making decisions about, I'm going back to work for distance, you know, during COVID was, well, how can we protect our home and our kids? My husband was a little less worried at the beginning. Uh, he was like, oh, this is, you're kind of overblowing this. And I was worried in February because I started hearing this thing about this thing coming in February and my friends and I were talking about it. And he was kind of like, oh, Katrina, you're... I'm the planner. I'm the prepper. <laughs> He's the, oh, it'll all be okay <laughs> kind of person. Um, but I remember getting him on board and he started to read and, and see. And I was like, this dude, this is about the kids. This is about our family. Like this is, I'm worried about the safety of our kids. And he's like, okay, I don't think I need to do all this, but okay, I'm willing to do it because we're speaking on common terms. It's not right. me versus you. We're back to the common terms of, hey, this is what, it's going on. So I think that has helped. Um, as far as the kids, we speak very openly in our house. Parents, I think, I love them. I think they were absolutely amazing people, still are amazing people, but they were amazing parents. They spoke to us. They didn't sugarcoat things. They didn't hide things from us. They had very open conversations all the time. You know, people would tell my, my father, why do you talk to those kids like that? You talk to them like they're adults. And um, that said, it made us have open lines of communication, but also we understood what was going on. So we had some things to draw from, from our adult lives, right? So my parents talked to us about bills. We sat down and paid bills with my parents. We, When they said, we don't have the money for it, I understood that because I saw that, you know, what it took to to balance the, the checkbook. Started out as my job was to, you know, put the stamps on the envelopes and then it was to write out the envelopes and then it was to write the checks, you know, to actually practice writing the checks. And then you were the calculator person who added it all up and saw what it took for your parents to balance a budget or pay this person or, hey, we're going to pay them a little bit less because this is not going to work out for this month. And my parents also, I think, were very honest about talking. Like we talked about the world. We talked about what was going on in their lives. We we talked a lot. And so I've tried to do that to the with my kids too. You know, when I'm struggling or I'm busy at work or I, I need something. It's not just me yelling at you and telling you to do something. I'm like, hey, listen, here's what's going on right now. Uh, we are very busy. This is what your dad has going on. This is what I have going on. Here's how we can make it all work. Here's what I need from you. And I think that has been very helpful. And my kids are, they're amazing little people. I think they're understanding and we work together as a family to solve a lot of, to deal with a lot of issues. Got it. And so that you know, financial background, is that something your your husband had as well? Or did you guys have to get uh, work to get on the same financial page in, in terms of, you know, saving, spending, and investing? Well, I don't think that you're ever on the same page entirely. <laughs> I okay. mean, I think even now we're not 100% on the same page. I think we have, it, it shifts and changes as you shift and change, right? So you go from being two independent people who had their own way of doing things and coming from two very kind of a little bit different backgrounds as far as, you know, life and, and even where we started. I think two parents in the same household who were solidly middle class. He had a single mother who they struggled. The approaches to things were were different for the two of us. So it did take some negotiating. In medical school, we're all broke and you're all struggling because <laughs> you're living for us. I mean, we didn't have the benefit of, we were all living on loan money and trying to, you know, 
balance student loans and debt and everything in medical school. We're living in an expensive city. When we got married, we had two people with this awesome debt, awe-inspiring debt, with also ambitions to try to build you know, a life and you're working as residents. And with that awesome pay uh, that goes with that, it has definitely changed over time. We went from a period where he paid bills and then I paid bills, was the primary person who paid bills. And then we've shifted more recently to him paying bills. We've always kind of shared financial responsibility, but I'm primarily in charge of the house and the kids, which is a huge financial, it's a sink. Oh, for sure. (laughs) The kids are a sink. Of, of, of money. And my kids are very active in sports and athletics and things like that. So I just think it requires a lot of conversation about it. Again, similar goals though. And every now and again, we need to reset. He's like, hey, babe, uh, can we check the spending? Or hey, you know, yeah, I don't think we need to buy that right now. So far it's worked. Um, we're building a business now. We're starting a business, which requires even more of that. Um, okay. So I just think like in all things, it has to be a conversation and you kind of have to keep putting your egos aside. Well, I was just going to say that it's pretty much the same thought. It's just that it needs communication, talk and revisiting. I don't think there's ever a period at these things. And I think the times in which we struggle the most is when we've mentally thought, oh, we got that covered. And oh, no, we don't have that covered. Okay. You just, yeah, you keep revisiting the subject as it, as it comes up in, in life. Now, is all of your money mutual money or do you have like separate accounts that, you know, you can spend on say something, you know, that your, your guilty pleasure or whatever that may be that he doesn't have to see and vice versa? Yeah. I always believe uh, my, my great grandparents, uh, my great grandmother um, always believed in every person having their own money. Um, I do not, particularly as a woman. Uh, and I love my husband and I think he's a great guy and I don't think he would ever do me harm, but I actively advise women to always have your own. Um, I think it is um, just imprudent. Like it doesn't make any sense at all to me. Uh, I, I, I'm saddened when I hear women who are like, well, he gives me money. What? <laughs> like, I just think we're smart. If I get up and go to work every day, I definitely have say in control for my money. Um, my check is de- my check is deposited into the joint account. His check is deposited into the joint account. However, which is for bills and kids and all that stuff. But um, I definitely have my own account. I had my own account when I met him. So there's no reason I would not have my own account <laughs> now. Um, and I think that not just for the psychological thing of, hey, when I want to get ready to buy you a present, I don't want it to be for you to know it. Um, I don't want to discuss uh, some things like my hair, my, you know, my personal That's grooming. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, hair. my hair, my hair, my grooming. I don't want to discuss that, nor, do, nor should I need to. Uh, I'm an adult. Like, I think marriage doesn't make us not adults. And um, I think um, that also just the practicality of it. Um, so that's the worst case scenario. Well, not the worst case scenario, but let's say something happens to him. You know, if... If he, uh, you know, God forbid, he died tomorrow, I need to be aware of the bills, but I also need to be able to move and navigate and handle things. Um, Unfortunately, there's still a lot of women that if something happened to their spouse tomorrow, their world would collapse. Uh, They don't know how to pay their mortgage. They don't know how much their mortgage is. They don't know how to, to, you know, how much the car notes are and how to 
financially, you know, navigate those things. They don't know where the money is. They don't know what bank to go to, I mean, for some of it. Um, and then the practic- the other thing is if he picks up tomorrow and finds a better version of me, which I don't think exists, but if he does, also I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't think it exists, but you know, if he finds a better version of me tomorrow uh, and decides he wants to do something else with his life, um, where would I be? Um, I, I owe it to my children to be able to provide a roof over their heads and to food on their table and to keep us afloat. Um, and so while I think that's wonderful when people are like, oh, no, we just do everything together and uh, I just put all my money in and I just let him. That's not that I don't love him or I don't trust him. I just it's impractical to me. Like it, it is absolutely foreign to me. I don't understand. Yeah, no, I mean, you bring up a, a, a great point. And I think that's uh, when when Victor and I first got together, he made sure that I understood where all the money was coming from and going from, uh, going to, because yeah, what if something happens tomorrow and I need to have access to all the passwords, know what's going on. And I think you say, you know, oftentimes it does, it is the male who might do most of the finances, but in some relationships, it's it's the female and the male might not know so it's important on both sides or, you know, whatever, if you're in a same sex couple or anything. So both, both people are in it together. Yeah. And I think the problem is that it, it's easy to defer it all. Like, right. oh my goodness, it's so much easier on your brain to have somebody else take care of it. And I, I, you know, love the idea of somebody else having to struggle with, did the bill get paid on time? Did it, you know, it's so much easier to let somebody else have it. Um, and if your partner is, um, if you're in a rough relationship patch or your partner is being um, less than forthcoming or doesn't want to be bothered or finds it a burden to to catch you up or to keep you involved, that's even more reason for you to push, I think, to be um, a part of it. Um, and the bill, the utilities are in both are, you know, both our names or some utilities are in mine and some are in his um, so that you could actually, you know, keep it all going. And we realized we've had some times like uh, with a hurricane, for instance, where we had to move unilaterally, like we were in two separate locations and we're like, OK, we've got to move. We've got to be in this location, pack up our whole life and be in this location by Thursday. Uh, you go find a house and get us some place to live, and I'm going to work on packing this one up and moving there. I mean, I think those things have kind of created the opportunity for us to see how important it is that both people be ready to, you know, be light on your feet, if you will. And in medicine, we all have to think about things like malpractice and things like that. You definitely need to have resources and um, diversification of both your household and your finances. And another thing, another topic I want to discuss is um, what what does it mean to be a person of color in a dual physician relationship, and what unique challenges does that bring to the table in both the workplace, you know, in your finances, in your community, at your home? Yeah, I think um, that's a that's a big question. Um, particularly, um, I think the rest of the world is more aware of what it takes, but for us to be uh, black, we've always had more on us. Um, we've had more on us from literally the day we were born. Um, in elementary school, I remember um, 
a teacher pointing to me and saying, that's one smart little black girl right there. I wasn't just a smart girl. I was a smart little black girl. I remember being the only little black girl in classes. Uh, I remember having to worry about what I looked like, what I talked like, what I sounded like all day, every day. Um, and I think that we care, we do carry a unique burden. Um, and I also think we carry a unique privilege that goes with that. For Douglas and I both, we never forget what it took and who and how many people are watching um, when we go off to college, when we go off to medical school, when we stand in our job. My husband was one. The residency we, we finished has literally finished less than five people of color. Out of how many? Um, and I'm, I'm, I, there may be more if you count, you know, um, when I say people of color, I mean Latino, Latina. Uh, African-American people of color. Uh, my husband, myself, and we know of one other. Um, we know of three. Uh, there might be four or five. Um, but radiology is definitely um, a very blank canvas in many ways. Yes. Uh, yeah. Even for women in some degree. Um, and there are some people who really like it that way. Um, just be honest. There's not the efforts... Um, to, to change or to make it look different have been slow to come and in some ways um, very, very entrenched. That also means that that burden of, of being greater, you can't just be good, you got to be excellent all the time, is hard. Uh, that's something we share and we're able to help, but it's also extra and people around you don't understand all the time, right. which again goes back to my circle of friends. I do have uh, probably three to four women that are literally beasts. They are, you know, women who I admire and who make it, make it all work somehow. And they are there for me when I'm broken and cannot do it. And when I get home and I've been called gal at work all day, or I've had less than pleasant experiences, or I have micro and macro aggressions um, about who I am and what I am and my space. Um, you know, residents a resident complain and say that I, I scolded him. I didn't scold him at all. I didn't say a word. Um, but I realized that it was a white male having a transference moment because he was wrong and he was incorrect. And he knew he should have been more accountable for what he was doing. And all I did was I simply asked him about his accountability. And the simple question of being questioned by a Black woman was more than he could handle. Um, oh and that God. wasn't years ago. That was a few months ago, you know, and worse than that, although I have females in leadership, females in leadership are not always, and you've experienced this too, are not always a good thing. They're not always trying to uplift you. They're not always trying to see you succeed. Some of those females in leadership, unfortunately, have, um, because they survived it, feel like suck it up, buttercup. You need to be tougher, more male, more, um, less female, um, less, less nurturing, less concerned about your family. Well, nannies raised my kids. Why can't they raise yours? Uh, yeah. I don't want that, <laughs> you know? And so disappointed and both encouraged. So I see it, my role as to try to be something different than that, um, to be more supportive, to, to, actually speak to females 
in medicine about being a female physician because no one talks to us about that. Exactly. Um, and being a female physician is not the same as being a male physician. Um, and I don't mean that as you're not capable, you're more than capable. It's just, it's a, you have a different set of circumstances around you at times. Um, if you're going to bear children, then that's, that has some impact on what you, you do. If you're going to be the primary caregiver for your parents um, as they age, um, or if you're going to uh, step out and try to do things for your community and your loved ones, then those things have different bearing. Oh, exactly. I mean, it is okay to be feminine. It is okay to be emotional. It is okay to, you know, put your family and community right up there with your work, right? And we're not, we're definitely not taught that. So we're not taught that. And we're not also taught that it's okay to be overwhelmed by it some days. Um, I think this, this idea of physician wellness is taking off, but it's still very much lip service. One, one day a month of yoga or something like that. Well, if you get that right. And, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's funny. We, they talk about, there's a lot actually more emphasis on, uh, resident wellness than there is on the attendings who are, uh-huh. who are uh-huh. in charge of them. You know, um, it, it, that's, that's always very funny about their, they're very concerned about their hours and their time. And I think that's great. But what about the, the attending who worked, you know, four times the hours they worked? No one cared about that. No one cared about, you know, having enough coverage and having enough, you know, no one cared about any of those things, but we cared that this oh, hour all the time, you know? No, I find myself sending the residents home early because I feel bad. And yet, you know, here I'm getting to work earlier and staying later. later right. Uh, so it, I, I think that there definitely needs to be a, a committed effort uh, by females in medicine to speak to other females. And I think that being a woman of color, it is even more so. I've been blessed that, you know, I've had, because I did internal medicine pediatrics before I did radiology. I did have, you know, um, a person seek me out and I sought out others. And it's a knowing like, hey, how are you? You know, Um, and I have had other women be supportive and say, hey, yeah, no, but it's always, it's not necessarily the people in charge, (laughs) which would be, which would be great. Um, And I think that as we climb and move in our careers, we have to remember to try to number one, stay human, and number two, to see humanity in other people and to encourage it. Um, And there's so many ways to do anything. There's, there's not one path. There's so many paths to do things that we really have to encourage um, women in particular, people of color in particular. And I say encourage, I mean, go out of our ways, out of our way uh, to, to make it plain that what you are and what you want, you can have. Um, but there's some way, some things you need to know about it uh, ahead of time. Um, so I, I think that is a passion of mine and why um, it doesn't have to be also, I want to say one more thing. And that is, it doesn't have to be an organized effort. It, you as one person can literally change the world. If you make it your goal to seek out support, it doesn't have to be through women in medicine organization. It doesn't have to be through the, you know, the caucus or the whatever, but you in your everyday being, when you see that person say, Hey, 
the Asian start the conversation with, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I ask residents that and they always laugh because theoretically you're, you've already decided that a long time ago. Surprisingly, you haven't decided and there's not a lot of support sometimes for that decision. What do you want your life to look like? What do you want? And I think that's where we should start for residency selections and where we should start for matching and as opposed to, um, you know, I want to be an ophthalmologist. Okay, well, more so, what do you want your life to look like? Um, and I think that would bring more satisfaction. How important, where is, where is career on your list of priorities right now? And where do you see it in the future? Because it changes. That priority list is not stagnant. That priority list, you know, definitely changes with time. But if you've, you know, wanted to have kids your whole life and see yourself with 10 kids at home, yeah, you know, being the lead academic surgeon uh, at a level one trauma center might not coalesce with your vision. Um, I'm not saying it couldn't, but it may not coalesce with your vision. Um, and I think it's important for people's job satisfaction, this burnout in medicine and all of that is to understand what you're choosing um, and to make it more of a choice so that people don't feel like, you know, 10 years in, what, why did I do this to myself? Right. It is a choice. I love your confidence, Katrina. And this is one of the reasons I had you on here because ever since we, you know, you first kind of took me under your wing, we were both co-fellows and like, seriously, I was, it was my first month or two of marriage when I met you. And you made such a huge impact on my life, not only just as a pediatric radiology fellow, but as a newlywed, as a, you know, a woman in a male dominated um, specialty. And this is why I wanted you to have you on because you just exude confidence. Um, and especially as a woman physician of color, like as a parent to the three, your three children and as and a high income earner, like I've just always admired you and always trying to, what are the keys to her? How is she so confident? You're so sweet. It's, um, I don't know if it's that I have a very spiritual, strong spiritual base, which I thank my parents for. Um, I am a Christian and I believe in, uh, ultimate, like I believe without hesitation in a higher power, um, God. And I believe that, um, I am a child of him. And I believe that as a child of God, the things of this earth don't really matter that much. Um, that that my focus is on something else. And I so I believe that there is an order to this universe. And I although it seems chaotic, I do believe that there's something else that is greater than the everyday workings of people. So with that, I People don't, I don't say don't bother me, but I try not to get caught up in the the smaller things. I try to stay focused on kind of the, the bigger picture. Um, it doesn't mean I don't get ruffled by daily, uh, you know, the, the daily things that come up, the annoyances, the, the interpersonal stuff that comes up. I'm not saying that. I'm not definitely not there. Um, but I try to keep my focus greater than this individual moment. I try to look at the forest more than the individual trees. And when the trees start to bother me, I try to look bigger. Um, and I also believe that what is for me in this world is for me, that no one in this world can can take that from me. Um, that, that And so I walk with the confidence of knowing that there is something greater than me that is 
for this world. And so, you know, if an attending doesn't like me or a person sets out to do me harm, it doesn't matter because they cannot derail what is for me. Um, And I try to teach my children that too. I think we have to, it's very easy in this world to get caught up in the small things and the daily, but I try to always cast bigger. And I have such a beautiful legacy of great-grandparents and grandparents and parents who are survivors, who are made of the toughest stuff. I look back and i just like, how did y'all do that? I mean, how did you do that? Like, um, you know, I think we all are the product of of people who were fighters, who survived daily, who just didn't quit. And so when I look back and I think about those people, and I was fortunate enough to know my great-grandparents and to know my parents and hardworking, smart people who literally brought themselves from the worst situations into into what they had, that's what I use. And I never, and I try to teach my kids that you have to work. Nothing, marriage, life, children comes without pure, sheer effort. Um, Even with a higher power, I don't think that I can sit down and wait for, you know, this magical light and I will be what I want to be. Um, I think that everything we do requires absolute work. I do my part. He does his part. And my part is to give it my best and let him do the rest. That is from whence it comes. I don't know. I know also that I don't know anything. I approach the world with, I don't know nothing. I can, I can't control anybody else. I can barely control me. Like controlling me is a daily battle and my mouth. That's a whole nother set of problems. Um, But controlling me is the only thing I can hope to do. So um, for marriage, I think that's really important is to stop trying to control change, make this other person in this relationship into something else. Although there are days I wish and hope that it will be something else or do something different. Um, I can speak that, but I can't make that. All I can do is try to control what I can control on this day at this moment. And that's me. Um, And I hope that if there's a silver lining from this pandemic um, is that people will try to focus more on those things, the trying to blot out what's not important um, to try to focus on what is really important to them and to spend their efforts on things that are beneficial. Right. To be intentional. Right. I love how you said that. Yeah. So I don't, so it's for things like I don't social media. Um, and I, I think that social media is a wonderful thing and has many benefits, but I cannot be bothered with the opinions of, of people who don't matter. Um, and when they don't matter, meaning I don't care what the guy down the street thinks. I, I, I can't. I have a, my friend, uh, Dr. Aisha Edwards says all the time, you don't pay my bills. I think the idea is great that if someone is not actively involved in your support of your daily life, meaning you don't pay my you don't pay my bills, you don't cook my food, you don't lay with me and give me emotional support, I'm not responsible for your actual life. Your opinion cannot matter because there's so many other things that do. Uh, so I really try, I don't I don't do social media. I try to avoid people are toxic or who are not beneficial. If you're not bringing 
good energy and positivity and pouring in something that keeps my circles very small. <laughs> but um, that's kind of the the rules to play um, in my in my world. Um, and I think everyone should have should should guard their life and their soul and their their minds in the same way. Um, in order, it's a privilege to be in your space. So I should earn my space, my, I should earn my role to be Kate's friend. Uh, it comes with responsibilities to be Kate's friend. And I should also pour into Kate what I want out of Kate. And if I'm not able to do that, then I should leave Kate alone. You know, if I'm not able to say something good, then I probably should shut up. Um, you know, if I can't help you along the way in this terrible, crazy, good, but insane thing we call life, then maybe I should, you know, move on. I should spend my energy on something else. That is beautiful. Oh my gosh. So much gold here, Katrina. I love that. There's a greater power. I only choose the good energy, right? Because do, what do I want to focus on? Do I want to focus on the, the trees, the individual problems in my life, or do I want to focus on the forest? And you know, the reason we're here. And I can only control me. I think that's key. I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to have to listen to this again, Katrina. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on Medicine, Marriage, and Money. Oh, congratulations on the podcast. It's amazing as you are. Okay. Well, we are going to, we are going to play this and listen to it and take notes and live it in any, anything else. Katrina, I think you've like covered everything. Just go be happy. Go make very most of today. Live today as if there was never another one to come and try to do it with no regrets, but with joy. See how it turns out. Love it. Thank you so much, Katrina. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Dr. Katrina Samuels Hughes. That was absolutely perfect. My four big take home points. Number one. Next time you get into an argument with your spouse, ask each other, do our priorities align? A successful relationship involves a commitment by two people with common goals. And when the going gets tough, it could be easier to walk away. So revisiting the shared values and discussing how priorities align can be grounding, humbling, and a way to continue loving. Don't let that fantasy on Netflix or social media get to you. That is not real life. Relationships involve failing and then getting up, dusting off your pants, and reminding yourself of the common goals and love you share with your partner. Number two, we may never truly be on the same page with our spouse. Although we have similar goals, we have to constantly refocus and redefine our needs and desires. Don't be afraid to discuss your finances. Put your egos aside and communicate. Being on the same page is often a fallacy and never truly reached, yet constantly being sought. Striving to be on a similar page is a constant and daily practice. Number three, welcome the positive energy and love in your life 
and shut out the toxicity. It is okay to keep your circle small. Spend your efforts only on what is beneficial and positive. You do not have time for anything else, my friend. If someone or something is bringing negativity into your life, ask yourself, do they pay my bills or provide me emotional support? If the answer is no, their opinion does not matter. Number four, change the world one person at a time. Whichever unique privileges you were given, use them. Stand up for your friends, your colleagues, and your trainees of color. Stand up for femininity, regardless if you are female or not. Go out of your way to engage in discussions which include and do not divide. Use your privilege for good. Inclusion is key. Thank you so much, my friends, for joining me once again. And I hope you walk away asking yourself, what do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want my life to look like? Thank you, Katrina, for that question. And if something happened to my spouse, would I know how to assess our financial accounts, pay our bills, and support our children? How can I encourage wellness among my peers and practice it myself? And how can I change the world? And how can I start today? Not as part of an organization, society, or caucus always, but just as the one powerful human being that I am. And that is it. That is a wrap. Please go and enjoy and subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Leave Katrina a review on whatever app you're listening on and share this with a friend. You know, I think everybody needs to hear what Katrina has to say, especially today, especially in this year. In this pandemic, everybody needs to hear this. So thank you. I am just so honored she came onto my show and I'm so honored to have you here. You know, you guys mean the world to me that you're here and listening. Reach out to me on Facebook, on TikTok, on Instagram. Uh, you can always chat with me. Send me a little calendar invite on medicinemarriageandmoney.com if you're interested in chatting about anything. I, a lot of you guys know that I'm in the life coach school and I'm practicing on real people, how to become the best coach I can possibly become. And if you're interested, I would love to talk with you. So go spread your wings and fly away and spread positivity everywhere you go, positivity and love. And thank you. Thank you. I cannot thank you enough. Well, adios, my friends, much love to you and your spouse. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.